Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital editor. There's not much I can add to Nick Davis's appreciation of Kristen Stewart from our July-August issue, so I won't try. I sat down with the actress while she was in town for the New York Film Festival. No less than three films in the festival starred Stewart. Certain Women, Personal Shopper, and Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. I think I'd like to start with Personal Shopper just because that performance is very much driven by reactions either to things around the character or just things that may or may not exist. How did you approach that script and how did you get to that place? Because it seems like it's sort of like a misunderstanding where it's like good acting is, you know, a big speech or something. But really what's difficult in acting is to just react. I was scared of that movie. You know, it's she's probably the loneliest person I've ever played. You know, the movie starts out sort of uh, after she experiences like a pretty traumatic loss and that can often like be catalyst for absolute like existential breakdowns. Like people really start questioning what is and why things are and blah, blah, blah. And those are questions that you f- f- simply can't answer. And if, so if you're a, a remotely thoughtful or overly thought, like overly analytical or like neurotic or like person sort of prone to anxiety. She just loses it. Like all those questions that, that you can't answer that you don't stay up at night about. She stays up every night about all of them and she just can't live. She just needs to know, you know, like she's half a person, her, the, the person that passed away. I don't know if I said that, like her twin, you know, Mm -hmm. so she's kind of like half, she's cut in half, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing remote about her though. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that I, that I really found interesting was that she was like so like viscerally in her own physicality, like so limited by like everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt sorry for her. Yeah, it was hard. And also it was freezing cold. We were shooting like 16 <laughs> hour days, six days a week. And like, yeah, that movie was a trip. I'm really like by the end of it, I was like, I can't work for a bit. I was like <laughs> totally ran myself into the ground. But how did you work with Olivier Asias? Were you doing rehearsals or were you just sort of like running through things on your own and sort of like testing things out? Um, he he uh, is kind of a surgeon when it comes to writing his screenplays. They're perfect. They're mm-hmm. perfect. They're so, um, even even as, occasionally even as just diving boards. But ultimately he talks about this and the two experiences that I've had with him definitely coincide with this idea of him always getting back to the screenplay. Mm-hmm. As much as we both feel explorative and like free and absolutely like, deep in something, totally falling into something and out of control. Mm-hmm. We watch the movie or he edits it and goes, huh, this is the screenplay verbatim. So that's interesting, but really only like noticeable after the fact. We don't talk to each other. Literally, you know, we, his, I feel him. There is really an, an, like an intrinsic togetherness that we both value so much and that we both acknowledge like doesn't happen often. And uh, we're really different. We're super, honestly, like our personalities, whatever. But like, I think that we have a value system that is really like just the same. Like we just, mm-hmm. f- honestly, I just, I feel that guy. And we both know when something's wrong. We both know when something's right. He doesn't like leading everyone to their answers. He just likes asking questions and watching the thought process that occurs. Um, and, and he likes capturing it. And, uh, yeah. So like there were a few indications towards the end where I was like, answer some of my fucking questions. God, I just want to talk to you. Like, how did you even write this? You seem like you don't even know what the fuck's going on. But like at the end of each experience, I just revere him. I literally look up and go, Oh my God, I 
just you put me here like mm -hmm. he just like he like genuinely sets you on this path and you feel so fucking like uh uh such an ownership of that path and like kind of alone on mm -hmm. it and then you look up at the end and realize that like someone's been watching you the whole time and kind of like helping and like funneling uh it sounds really like jesusy <laughs> but like <laughs> genuinely that is what it feels like yeah just not to, to to draw a really strange whatever you want to call it and I guess how would you contrast that with working on certain women and you know it's a literary adaptation because Kelly Reichert really shoots the American Northwest in a really unique way in a way that you feel she has a real sense mm. of tactility and feeling for this um mm. for this land so yeah how would you describe or contrast that experience yeah she's very composed you know mm -hmm. a lot of like American independent movies like they have a vocabulary that's like really redundant let's mm -hmm. let's take it off sticks throw it on his shoulder we're gonna find it we're just gonna dance this one through and you know we and and honestly I love that I love mm -hmm. making movies like that but it's totally my generation it's totally like my country you know mm -hmm. what I mean like that's like indie flicks it's just they look a certain way yeah her movies are really not like that and yet totally fucking natural but she does it, she controls that, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's not just by um, accident. She, all of her shots are really, really composed, really thoughtful. She wants you to say the lines in the script that she wrote. She doesn't want you to really paraphrase it. And um, yeah, just really like deliberate. And I think that she focuses on moments that occur in between the stuff that people usually put in movies. Mm -hmm. And there's something so engagingly mundane about her movies that is like, oh man, why aren't we like telling stories about things that happen to people that don't have like a digestible slug line? Like, <sighs> let's not make a movie just about a chick who like overcomes some higher power and is so difficult and the adversity and uh. it's like, no, let's just make a movie about like three women who are kind of like desirous of something that they can't have and mm -hmm. They're all exhausted. Yeah. I don't know, there's this grind. There's this like grind that all of them are like grinding on. Honestly, like only Kelly, Kelly's movies feel like Kelly's movies. Mm -hmm. Her perspective is captured. It's so fucking unique. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm really, really impressed with the stuff that she does. Cause it's also really vulnerable to sit and do nothing. To sit and not play something or mm -hmm. try and deliver like a feeling to someone. Yeah. And I, that's what I feel like her movies do kind of really well. Yeah, you had such great chemistry with Lily. Could you talk about getting to that place? Oh man, I never looked at her. <laughs> that was a secret. Yeah, I was literally intentionally only occasionally being like, hmm. and then like, like maybe for a second I would tune in and go. Mm -hmm. And every time I was like, you shouldn't see anything when you tune in. It's that that's the most painful thing about that um storyline. It's like misconnections you see two people having two entirely different conversations and it's like gut-wrenching. You yeah. know what I mean? You're just like, you guys aren't so you're so unaware of each other you're so you're just projecting so much and then like my character's like so self-involved and kind of like conversely you know we we're talking about personal shopper a second ago I think that she's like the person that I play in personal shopper seems like a crazy person and so totally like insulated and kind of like in her own head and world and whatever but we all are who the fuck knows what the fuck that even is and who seems like more normal on the surface is actually the more remote person right Beth is just buried. You know what I mean? She's just protected herself. She's just completely buried 
that to me was really interesting. I usually play the person observing other people. Yeah, like to, to know her would take so long. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like pretty interesting is to show nothing. Right. But it's also like sort of warranted that she doesn't, you know, she can't really reach out because it's very clear like she's so constrained by this burden from her family. She's constrained by finances, stuff like that. So it's so warranted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of it's it's um it definitely grounds it and it doesn't make it yeah like you say it's a it's a sad story for you that don't reason. Judge her for it. Yeah, she's not a bad guy for it. Right, it's right. just like so true and like yeah, it's interesting to watch. You seem to be really past the one for me, one for them thing when you you know when you're going for roles. So never what? did that. Never did that. <laughs> well, that's excellent. I guess what would you you know in the future? You know, you talked about like it was really exciting playing Joan Jett because that was somebody you could really look up to. What would you like to do in the future? Like you know what what sort of attracts you to a role? It's it's really hard to like speak to that uh, like as a whole. It's totally different every time and like. Uh, sometimes it's because I feel really protective and close to something and like I've just fully understand it. Therefore, I feel like I want to be the person to make sure other people understand it. And then there are times where I'm perplexed by something and I'm like, holy shit, why do I feel this way? I need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I have a pretty good instinct when it comes to knowing who I want to work with. Like I love working with first time directors. Recently, I've worked with a lot of people that I've looked up to for a long time, which has been fantastic. And like, I'm so lucky, but I'm also totally not opposed to working with somebody like who I can sit in a room with for five minutes and go, oh yeah, I know, I know you, I know you, I want it. And I'm going to, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's cool. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. At some point, would you be interested in pursuing another creative field, like writing or directing? I just wrote and directed my first short. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, I walked picture like three days ago and I'm going to work on sound. It's like a, it's super sound oriented. So it's kind of half, halfway there. But I, I love it. And that's a great pleasure, I got to tell you. I don't know if it's good, but I can tell you, like, even if you don't like it, nobody can say it's not well done. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I, it's, it's pretty, like, personal and blah, blah, blah. And my friend Josh is in it, and he's, like, so fucking great in it. He's not an actor. And I'm, yeah. It was so, I've never been happier doing anything. And also, both jobs so completely go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't feel a, a massive distinction between the two. It's just sort of, uh, I feel really lucky to have found the next level. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Whether as Alice Kinnan in The Last Days of Disco, Pearl in Julian Donkey Boy, or Chelsea O'Bannon in Bloodline, Chloe Sevigny brings a distinctive poise and effortlessness to the screen. I had the great pleasure of speaking with the multi-talented star shortly before her directorial debut, Kitty, screened at the New York Film Festival. Thank you for coming. Uh, This is really exciting. So you're here to talk about your short, Kitty. And I just wanted to start by asking what motivated you to adapt this Paul Bowles story? And I guess, what was that process like? Well, I first read it when I was around 19 or 20. And it had a lot of the elements of things that I wanted to explore when I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker at that age. (laughs) (laughs) Just fantasy and childhood and relationship with the mother etc and um I was supposed to make it then with a cinematographer called Jean-Yves Escoffier and he passed away sadly and so I kind of put it away for a while and I think the more I worked the more terrified I became of attempting to direct something I think the more experience I had. One would think that with more experience, one would grow more and be more um, emboldened, <laughs> but I somehow 
got less. And just in the past couple of years, I went back to Kitty and I was like, you know, I really want to try this directing. I'd done some collaborations with my friend's clothing company opening ceremony. And I loved the collaborative nature of that. But I also loved having something that I felt like was my own, was an expression of myself and kind of what I wanted to put out into the world and especially around the presentations of those collections. And they were always kind of more performance pieces and using not models, different kinds of girls, different kinds of bodies, different kinds of situations. And, you know, people can be very dismissive of fashion and I have a love-hate relationship, but it was, I really grew a lot in those, um, having those experiences, working with those people who, who I love and respect. And um, it kind of gave me, I think, the confidence to, to go back to, to, to Kitty and, and to give it a real go. People say, oh, why did you go back to that? Didn't you want to find something else? And, you know, that's just something that I had to get out of me. I also feel like short films, it's such a tricky balance, you know, between the narrative or experimental or it's such a, you know short time frame you right. know usually under 15 minutes and um there's just something about this tale like the beginning middle and end of it that I don't know just I thought would suit the time frame actually I wanted to ask you about your sort of relationship with fashion you know mm -hmm. working in that world and how that influenced the production design and the costuming and how you know what you were asking Chili Nathan and the other people and I also know that some of the items in the film were from your own childhood mm-hmm I don't think that has so much to do with working in fashion. I think I've always just been really, I mean, into style. I think style and fashion are two very different things. And I just have a real appreciation of, of beauty and all its different forms that it can take. And for Kitty, I really wanted to create a world that was timeless, that you couldn't tell if it was happening today or in the 40s or 50s or, you know, and... And I think I wanted that so much to be the world because you have to invite the audience to go on such a huge leap that you're already from the opening of the film realize you're somewhere else, that this is some sort of fantasy fairy tale, something's going on. And so it's easier than to make the leap from Little Girl the Cat, right, yeah. <laughs> which is a big leap, yes. which you're asking people <laughs> to take. And I think actually it's 12 minutes. So and Jennifer Johnson, who is a costume designer, who's really talented, she's a very gentle soul and very thoughtful and very emotional um, when it comes to you know, dressing people for movies and characters, especially. I'd worked with her before, and I just thought she had such a nice presence, and I really wanted to try and hire as many female department heads as I could, and I just respected her, and, and she's up and coming. I think she's worked with some other filmmakers who I like, and um, she just, like I said, had a really nice way about her and I wanted to be surrounded by people that I that I liked and yeah. Chili Nathan I met uh, actually I was going to work with somebody else that she worked with and he recommended her and we sat down and she just had a cool vibe and you know I told her what I want to do luckily we found these incredible locations so mm -hmm. she really could work with a lot of the props that were within the location and not have to bring so much right. and on our budget that was really helpful but she had a great eye and she had a great team and she could rally people really well and she got it. And, you know, then like we were supposed to shoot this one scene on a trundle bed with young Kitty, Edie, the actress, mm -hmm. and we couldn't do the bed. So I 
when I was a kid, I used to drag around a sheepskin rug and make little nests all over the house with it. And like I had a little blankie and the sheepskin. I'd, and so I was like to Chile, I was like, you got to find a sheepskin like, <laughs> right now or by tomorrow. And so I, she, I was like, we can follow her on Facebook and stuff. And she was like asking people for, <laughs> and she pulled one out of a hat and we used it. And it's so cute. And yeah. And yeah, a lot of the props actually were mine. The teddy bear that kind of comes to life was my first teddy bear. I still have him, obviously. And the tea set that she's drinking from was was my tea set. And you know, speaking about the actors, so much of this film is silent and it's a lot of reactions and you're working with, you know, children and animals. How did you get the actors to a place where you wanted them with their performance or did you sort of just trust them? I spoke to the actors a lot. Um during the takes, which I always like as an actress. Mm -hmm. And some directors don't do that and some do. And I always encourage the director. I was like, if you want me to try stuff or look a certain way or do something, especially with Edie, she's seven and she'd right. never really been on film before. So that really helped. Of course, then she'd always look at us or look into the camera, but <laughs> she got in the end. And, you know, when we got into editing, I was like, I wish there was more dialogue in this movie. <laughs> like, I think when I was writing it, I was pretty true to the book. Yeah. And I wanted it to be sparse and kind of weird and stilted. And so, but then when I got into the editing, I was, I wish there was, there was more to cut back. I wish there was more dialogue. So my next short that I'm doing in November, there's gonna, there's gonna be a lot more, but like with, with Ioni, who's obviously a very experienced actress, Ioni Sky, um, there was one very dramatic scene where she has to be crying and, She's talking to the police officers about her daughter being missing. And my friend, who's a filmmaker, M. Blash, I asked him to come and play one of the cops and just like improvise with her in the scene. Because I thought if I just have some day player, not that day players right. <laughs> can't be great, but I wanted just somebody that I trusted and I was comfortable with and a friend of mine there to work with her like during that scene. I think it really helped her get mm -hmm. to the emotion of it because it's very hard. I mean, sh it's hard to act in short films. I've done a bunch for yeah. friends of mine and just, I always feel like the smaller the part, the harder it is to kind of figure it out. But she was great. She's also a really gentle soul and she's also a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So she understood and I think was, um, you know, willing to lend her services mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. and give herself over to me. And it seems like you actually, you did, what a lot of first-time filmmakers do where it is like you really just sort of like calling in favors from friends and like working with you know Brian DeGraw from Gang Gang Dance who did the uh, music because again there is so little dialogue and that sort of fills it in but it's never you know overpowering how did you collaborate with him on that well Brian is a very old friend of mine and uh, his girlfriend's my best friend actually I always knew I wanted Mira Bellotti from White Magic to do a lot of the soundtrack. And unfortunately, she was in L.A. and we were editing here. So we were kind of like me and the editor were piecemealing parts from songs together. And so I always knew that like that that overriding score of hers was going to be kind of the predominant music and sound. Mm -hmm. And then Brian would come in and we'd try different things and he ended up doing some original score himself and he has that beautiful Juliana Bartwick song at the end, mm -hmm. which is so like, Brian is my favorite DJ and he's <laughs> one of my favorite humans and he just knows so much about music and he also loves cinema and he's always wanted to do music supervision and he's done his own amazing videos for other bands and for gang gang dance and he just has the understanding and he didn't necessarily have the relationships with the getting rights and that was right. all kind of new for him, but yeah. I knew that he would introduce things that I would never have thought of. And, um, 
yeah, I was really lucky for that. And, and I think pulling favors from friends, you know, from the costume designer to the special effects to, you know, I think a lot of people are willing to come on board for shorts because it's such a short commitment. I mean, as a testament to myself, I think that people really like were excited about my vision, excited about the story, mm -hmm. excited about the ambition of the project. And I don't think they would have come on board, you know, just because it's me. It's not like I'm Angelina Jolie or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they're actually my friends and right. they actually were like, I had this whole visual presentation I'd give to everybody and mm -hmm. people were just, they wanted to, to help tell the story. They were excited about it. And you briefly mentioned that you're going to be shooting something else in November. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that or not yet? I can. Yeah. It's, um, well, I shot Kitty on, on short ends that I got from a movie that Seamus McGarvey had shot. So I still have a bunch more left over. So we're going to go to Portland and I'm going to work with Eric Edwards who shot kids Oh yeah, and um, some of the early Gus Van Sant films like My Own Private Idaho and it's going to be more verite style, very different from Kitty. Kitty was very, almost, you know, every shot had to be considered prior because of the child and the time constraint. And, you know, it was, it was ambitious and the effects and everything else. But this one, I just want to be very run and gun, very loosey-goosey. And it's a portrait of a performer, a comedian that I'm really obsessed with. She's really dry and wry and all of that and <laughs> tall and googly eyed and dark she's just funny and I'm gonna put her in some different scenarios and let her kind of improvise and then I also have some dialogue written and just kind of have the scene where she's kind of like objectified by these guys and the kind of tables turn and just want to like explore more of like celebrity and identity and ego and stuff that goes along with being a performer and then wanting to protect yourself but then also having to be friendly to a certain extent right. out of you know politeness and not wanting to be an asshole right yeah. <laughs> but all that kind of stuff I was curious. We're we're in a we're in a funny time right now. Mm -hmm. It's always a funny time, but it's never been easier to project this veneer of having like the right politics. You know, if it's someone you know with social media, where it's like if it's your friend or if it's a director who's never had a black person in their film but still wants to call bullshit on someone else's racism, stuff like that. How do you navigate that? And how do you feel like, do you feel like things are actually opening up? Because obviously in the 90s, there was a big push towards inclusivity, PC culture, and then that just disappeared and nothing, you know, all of that sort of washed away. Right. Like did a film with Natasha Leone that she produced and she is very aware of wanting to cast a more diverse group of actors and I have also worked with other filmmakers who are like that you know I did a short film last year with this girl and she was the same and I think it takes people that are just like nope that's what I want to do this mm -hmm. is what represents my world and what I see around me and I think it just takes people with the strength and wherewithal to follow through on that and I mean they're also you know always gonna be white dudes making white movies about white dudes <laughs> and like that just <laughs> Yeah. And that's what they know. And I don't know if I should necessarily going to knock them for it. You know, right. I think, you know, I mean, I guess you're supposed to write what you know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it really should serve the story or the character, you know, casting and mm -hmm. and all of that. But it is a very sensitive issue. And but I think all of the dialogue around it, you know, I was in at the Cannes Film Festival this year and Sundance and now here and everybody's, you know, 
women in film and, you know, minorities. And I think it's great. You know, I don't think they're talking enough about Asians. Asian right, Americans. Yeah. <laughs> that still seems to be something that's not as. And when I watch the Emmys and or the, Aziz, the, uh, oh, Aziz, yeah, Aziz Ansari, Ansari, yeah, 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 and they were talking about that, and I was like, yeah, you can go, boys. It's not even necessarily like knocking it. It's just sort of. I mean, I'm thinking of like on a larger networks or Hollywood trying to be more sensitive and more inclusive, and mm-hmm. and some of that. I'm I'm curious again because you've had had so much experience is it more do you feel like it's maybe more less of a question of what directors want or if it's something about casting directors because if you read a casting notice some of it like they're casting for types and Mm -hmm. they're very blunt in their language and I think there's some culpability there that's not being really explored yeah I mean I think responsibility has to come from the top all the way down to the bottom I think mm-hmm. that I mean obviously filmmaking is so collaborative and there's so many people involved from casting to producer to director to actor to yeah I mean we can all take the blame or none of us <laughs> take the blame I don't know but yeah I mean I think a heightened awareness and consciousness is always will hopefully you know do good things I've been going around with a friend of mine Stuart Thorndike who's a filmmaker um, she made this movie Lyle mm-hmm. we've been pitching like a TV idea around and the main note from all of the networks that have passed, not that all of them have, but some of them have, has been, oh, we already have too many female-driven shows, or we already have our female-driven show, or we already have our, that's like <laughs> the consistent note. And so you're kind of like, mm, okay, yeah. And even some networks that you go and then you look at their programming, you're like, mm, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. You can have like 10 male-driven if you already have one female. Oh, we already got that slot covered. Sorry. Right. So. Yeah. It is very, uh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize there was a limit on that. But anyway, you know, we're in a unique time. There are more outlets than ever. There are more channels. If it's, you know, through Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, or just even on cable. And there's so many ways to distribute an independent film. But it's definitely a lot harder to get people to pay attention. So ultimately, do you envision yourself doing features and how do you see yourself, you know, navigating this ever increasing landscape? Well, I definitely like to do features. That's what I'm aiming for. I want to keep kind of honing my craft in shorts for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, And ones that aren't necessarily attached to brands like commercials or videos, ones that I can do more of a pure expression of myself and what I want to say. And then, yeah, I would like to move into features and I imagine they'd probably be independently financed and probably do the festival circuit to help generate excitement and publicity. And hopefully I'll have an actress that's more famous than myself that can take on, (laughs) (laughs) do all the heavy lifting (laughs) to promote the movie. Uh, No, I don't know. I just... I mean, for me, that's always been you know my least favorite part. It's I think it's also was because I always felt uncomfortable speaking for the movies that I was just acting in. And like I've really like with Kitty and been doing the festival circuit with Kitty. I was just like, this is great. I can talk about this all day long. Like, I love this is my movie. And yeah. like and I remember now like thinking back over like hearing my directors talk about their movies and of course they should be the ones talking about it. And I've been always then like having to answer for them, especially with my repertoire of like <laughs> <laughs> more challenging or controversial. And, you know, if you want to know why I want to be involved in certain films, I can explain it, but I don't know if I can really answer for the film necessarily always as a whole. But um, I love Kitty and I, and, and I want people to see it. And I think that 
people will get a lot from it, even in its brief 12 minutes. I think it's really funny and moving and has a lot to offer. So, um, I mean, I guess it's just the most you can hope for, that people will be moved by it in some way or find some reflection of themselves in it. Or Speaking to the roles that you've done, you've definitely drifted towards, again, like you said, more difficult things or villains. Is that like a, a typecasting villains. decision? I mean, Nicolette was a little bit of a villain. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm big love. Well, she turned out to be. She was just really complicated. Oh, I know. I mean, yeah. I really, I watched all of Big Love because it was so, it was, I mean, first of all, I loved the Pompadour thing, mm -hmm. the Mormon Pompadour, which is a great look. And then also just her evolution. And then also her little zingers and one-liners and just how petty and evil she was. Yeah, in the first season, I was like, I, I, they didn't write any comedy for me. And I yeah. think once they got to, to know me, they, yeah, they started giving me more of the zingers. And uh, I think she was just so complicated. She was, for me, the most interesting of the female characters because she was bridging both worlds. Yeah. And so she was, you know, she was caught between the two. And mm -hmm. that's uh, ripe for drama right there. Oh, High absolutely. stakes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because you are sort of branching out, you have done so much other stuff. There's an element of, well, you can sort of choose whatever you want, but then also like people are still coming to you with stuff. So what, mm -hmm. what sort of roles are interesting to you now? Well, I feel like after I signed on to Big Love, which was the early 2000s, the film landscape really changed and the independent mm -hmm. film landscape really changed and people, you know, weren't in New York anymore and and people weren't making the kind of films that I had started my career off doing and then of course I was unavailable and we never knew if we were this, you know, the schedules and I felt like I kind of lost my place in the film world for a little while and that's okay. I learned so much from Big Love. It was a great character and I stopped living check to check, which I had been <laughs> for most of my life. And that was really nice and nice luxury. And I got to play a great character. And then I kind of got caught up in the TV world a little bit more. And now I'm kind of finding my way back into film, which is really exciting. TV can can be a grind. And, and um, I have six movies in the can right now, you know, with Alex Ross Perry and Andrew Haig and Tomas Alfredson, like all these really great filmmakers who I admire, Warren Moverman. I just worked with uh, Miguel Arteta, like a whole slew of them, um, but they're all small parts. Mm -hmm. I feel like most of my film roles have been that more supporting smaller parts. I mean, I've really only had really juicy roles and like kids and boys don't cry those were like my two meatiest parts other than tv well, what about um love and friendship that was pretty good that was good <laughs> yes but it was still kind of a smaller part yeah yeah so right now i'm focusing on something that should be happening at the end of november if our financing doesn't fall apart where i get to carry a movie for the first time really okay ever cool. so i mean i love working in film but I would love to have the opportunity to really do some like some real acting in the way that I did I felt like in big love in a way mm -hmm. and carry something and the weight of a movie and I did it with hit and miss which was another tv thing that I did for sky atlantic in in England but yeah not really in in a two-hour movie ever so that's kind of my goal right now yeah. although I'll still work you know, in small parts for great filmmakers if they're come calling. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, I think that's sort of what makes your career, I, like, unique and, like, fun. I know. I think it's kind of confusing because I think people will, like, I don't know. I think that's what was unfortunate about people then associating me with fashion so much because they see me in those images in the magazine so much more than a small independent movie that plays two cinemas or something. Right, yeah. So... 
Yeah. yeah. There's sort of this turn in a lot of American film acting where, you know, you see it with someone like Kristen Stewart or Oscar Isaac or um, Michael B. Jordan, where it's sort of, it's not, it's not not acting, but it's definitely this sort of withholding a lot and a little bit more muted, a little bit more subtle performances. I would say that coolness or the sort of that uh, remove is something that, you know, arguably you sort of pioneered a little bit in some of some roles that you've done. How do you see that trend? Assuming it, assuming it is real. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, go for it. Well, I've always loved naturalistic acting. I mean, yeah. I also like heightened acting. It depends on the story and, and um, what you're trying to do and what you're trying to tell. But I mean, those three actors are great. I'm not sure Oscar Isaac in Star Wars was that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I'm thinking more like a But he also Davis, gets yeah. to do a Star Wars, totally. you know, which yeah. is like, and Michael B. Jordan does too. And I think it's great that there are these young, you know, actors that are more subtle. I'm excited about so many young actors and a- actresses, but I, I don't know if I, I, I think I was just like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think before <laughs> TV, I got to do that small thing on the big screen and then TV they really push you and everything's really high stakes. And I feel like I lost sight of like how to do a performance the way I used to, you know, and keep things subtle and grounded and then you overcompensate and I'm still trying to find my way back there. There's also just a naivete and, and you know, just not as self-aware. Like when I think of all the nudity that I did when I was young, I was like, would never do that now. I can't even, I wouldn't even think I thought about my boobs then, which is such a weird (laughs) thing. But like, I don't think I even like thought about like, oh, are they, what are they, you know, do they look okay? Like, I didn't even think about it. I mean, it was different. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I, I mean, like, you know, we've sort of been dancing around this, what independent films were in the nineties and what they are now is just, they have the cliches of Hollywood and then they have their own cliches. Like it's sort of kind of a bland sort of a blandness is set in yeah so yeah i mean well, same with music i just feel oh, like there's so- this like the world's gone soft that's what my boyfriend's <laughs> always said world's gone soft from like you know music to film yeah it's just like where's the the sex mm-hmm. where's the you know the edge but then you know movies do that and it seems like it's almost forced or yeah I yeah mean, something yeah. like Suicide Squad. Did you you didn't see that now? I know I missed that one. Oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Poor you. But yeah, that it's a weird it's a weirdness where the the hardness has sort of gone away. But yeah. Oh, I think there are, you know, there are interesting young filmmakers coming up. I'm excited. I I don't know what's gonna happen. I mean the micro budget, I think, you know, like with the Safety brothers and stuff, they mm-hmm. had to try stuff, you know. I mean, my my favorite movie in the past, I don't know how many years, was Scarlett Johansson with the... Um, oh, Under the Skin? Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. I love that film. That score was incredible, and he's such a great filmmaker, and yeah. he's one of my favorites, so... Yeah, it's crazy he doesn't... It's like 10 years between each one of his projects. Yeah. When he should, he, the guy should be <laughs> making a, a movie yeah. right? I mean, Every yeah, year, Birth, yeah. and, and then that one, and that, I was so impressed. I felt like it was something I hadn't seen before, and was beautiful visually and emotional and yeah I, I don't know if I've seen a movie since then that I've been as kind of rattled by have you in preparation for this upcoming film have you been revisiting any either works of art or films to sort of get you in the mood I have I've been looking at a lot of Eric's work like mm-hmm. um the old Gus films the drugstore cowboy and my own private Idaho and then I watched rewatched all the Cassavetes which I haven't watched really since I was like 19 years old. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. I watch opening night every few years. 
yeah. because Come on. <laughs> it's my favorite one. Yeah. But so I kind of rewatched Chinese Bookie and the other ones are just like a little harder to get mm-hmm. through for me. Love Streams, um, Husbands. And then I was also watching King of Comedy. I watched that a couple times because um, the Sandra Bernhardt character is just one of the greatest yes. things that's ever happened in the movies ever of all time. Absolutely. So I'm kind of looking at things like that, things that are more um, loose. And of course, Fred Elms was the operator on all of those Casabetti's movies. That's why they look so beautiful. Yeah. Kitty uses practical effects and VFX. And how did you communicate that to the people who are managing those effects? Because now everything really has at least some VFX done to it, whether it's a set extension or if it's, you know, a little beauty work or whatever. Well, I really wanted to do the practical effects because I was thinking a lot of, you know, Legend and Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and those kind of movies that I grew up on that I love that were these spooky fairy tale type films. And... I love puppets. I love practical effects. And I've been working on American Horror Story and they only do practical effects. I mean, they clean them up after, but they're mostly practical. And I'd met this boy, Jason. He does a lot of work with Diane Twert. And I said, would you help me do this? You know, I want to do these little cat ears and nose and whiskers and no muzzle. Like I said, I wanted to be very pretty, very delicate. And we did some renderings. He did some, you know, mock-ups of clay and went back and forth. And I was kind of it with that. I just like, you know, I, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to do it afterwards and post. Right. And it's so hard to getting facial recognition. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the harder things. I sat down with Spike Jones. He's so generous. He's a really old friend of mine. And we talked for like an hour at length about the difficulties of doing that. And um, so I decided to go with the practice. And I think it looks better. Mm-hmm. It's more charming to me. And then with the VFX, this guy, Alvin Vision, who works at Method Studios here in New York, he had worked with a friend of mine and I'd seen some lighting effects and some pulsating effects and things that he'd done. And and I thought it was going to kind of be minimal, more just like the introduction of magic and like I said before, to get people to make the leap. And it turned out to be a lot of work. <laughs> but I just, I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted things to seem like the, the teddy bear to move and like just little hints of things that like, you know, that, you know, then the audience, it's easier for them to make the leap. I mean, I, on some level, I really related to the fact that you were saying like, you know, I've had all this experience and this, you know, working in the industry and it was actually more intimidating to make that leap because it's like super intimidating to, you know, to communicate certain things to communication with the, with the post VFX was really hard with this guy, Alvin. Like Mm -hmm. I brought in this, um, photography in the cult. I I don't know if you ever saw that exhibition at the, at the Metropolitan. Mm. It was like ectoplasm, light rays. And so I brought in a bunch of photos of that and I was like, let's make a light effect that looks like one of those. It's Mm not a lightning bolt, but it's like electrical currents. And like, so those were like all of my reference photos. Okay. And then like for Seamus, when we were shooting I was like bringing all these reference photos like Lewis Carroll and Sally Mann how the edge of the frames get all like kind of washed out and murky mm-hmm. and beauty and you know so like there was like almost every frame oh not every frame was a reference but I, I was like exhausted everybody with ideas because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was the only really I knew I don't know how to communicate with a with a VFX guy you know what that is but you know so we brought in images and we tried things and uh worked out that way so far thank you so much for coming thanks thanks for having me
You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, and edited by Michael Odmark. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years. <laughs>